Well, good evening. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that as we go through your word tonight, that you would cast out any pride inside of us, that our hearts would be softened to the gospel, and that you would prepare us to partake of the supper tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight, we're going to study James chapter 4, verse 12. The passage is on page 1013 of your pew Bibles, 1013. It reads, James chapter 4, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? But before we go there, I'm going to give a very brief overview of the book of James. I'd encourage you to read the book on your own sometime, as it is, it is extremely rich and practical for the Christian. It is short enough to read all at once. It is sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it has been very fruitful going through this book during the men's Monday night Bible study. Consider that a pitch to attend that men's Bible study. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was writing to Jewish Christians, more specifically to the 12 tribes, and the dispersion is noted in chapter 1, verse 1. The themes in James are the Christian's responses to trials and temptations, found in chapter 1, where James is making the point that trials are a reason for joy, and trials produce maturity in a Christian's life. In the beginning of chapter 2, we see this idea of partiality, where James is addressing concerns with Christians showing favoritism and not loving their neighbors. James drives the point home here that if we are being partial, we are fooling ourselves to think that we are loving and caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ. He really throws a knockout punch in chapter 2, verse 10, where he says, Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. James is basically saying that partiality should not be taken lightly and should not be considered a little sin. At the end of chapter 2, we see a theme of faith and works going together. James was stressing the importance of faith being put into practice or a faith that actually works. James gives two examples of Rahab and Abraham where they both demonstrated their faith by their works. James was saying, show me your faith by your works. If you say you have faith, show me. Chapter 3, we see a theme of speech. Jesus tells us that our speech is a reflection of the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus compares our speech and our tongue to a forest fire and says that no human being can tame our speech. Only the Lord God can tame our tongue. And that starts by Jesus giving us a new heart before our speech is even going to change. Then we land in the beginning of chapter 4, where James warns against worldliness and fighting and quarreling with one another. Now on to our passage for tonight in James 4. Let me read it again, but let me back up to verse 11 to set some context. I'll read James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Again, it's on page 1013, if you're using the Pew Bible. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, for the one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
The context leading up to verse 12 in chapter 4 is a continuation of chapter 3, where the absence and restraint of the tongue led to loose speech and quarrels amongst one another. This problem of judging one another was a result of the pride in the people's hearts and their lack of humility. We'll look at verse 12 in two points tonight. Point one, the role, point one, the role of the lawgiver and judge. And point two, how we should approach judging. First, let's look at the role of the lawgiver and judge. Point one. The word lawgiver means the one who gives the law. The law can mean the Torah or the first five books in the Bible, or it can mean the commands given to Moses in Mount Sinai. Either way, the problem was the more laws that were given, the more people fell into sin. The human heart and condition of it makes us essentially incapable of following the law. What was then the point of the law? Well, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.20 that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul also says in Galatians 3.19 that the law was added because of transgressions. The lawgiver, who was free of sin, issued the law to the people and therefore can rightfully be the judge. You basically can't have a law without a lawgiver and judge. Only the lawgiver can rightly execute judgment of the law. Pastor Mike this morning preached in Isaiah. Isaiah 33.22 says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So here we see that God is the lawgiver and judge. God who is perfect and holy has the authority to save those who repent and also authority to destroy those who refuse to repent. We will all be judged by God who is the perfect lawgiver. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We will all face that day where we will stand in front of God's presence and ask to give an account for our sins. Picture this, the holy God who is perfect asked us to give an account. Did we follow the law? What can we really say? Lord, I did mostly good things. Or, Lord, the good in my life outweighed the bad? Well, that would take us back to James chapter 2, verse 10, that I mentioned earlier, where he says, Forever keeps the whole law, but fails at just one point, has become accountable for all of it. So if doing mostly good things isn't going to save us, what can save us in front of a good and holy judge who is our lawgiver? What is our hope? How should we respond to our lawgiver and judge? Well, only one person in human history could perfectly fulfill the law. No one can fulfill the law except Jesus Christ, whom God said it is one and only Son, who lived a life that we cannot live and have not lived. Jesus is the new Adam, who perfectly obeyed and submitted to his Father, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, the punishment that all of us, including me, deserve. He died a criminal's death on the cross, and three days later, he got up from the dead, proving he had conquered sin and death. Our response on that last day, and on this day, should be to confess that we have missed the mark, confess that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and deserve nothing but the pit of hell. But if we turn from our sin and put our hope and trust in Christ. A beautiful transaction takes place here. God, who is our judge, also plays the role of defense lawyer in this case. And that if we are truly 
repent of sinners and put our hope and trust in Christ, God will look to Christ's righteousness to cover our sins and receive us into his kingdom of come. So God, our lawgiver, can both execute judgment on us and he can also mercifully save us. If you're here tonight, you're not a follower of Jesus. I urge you to turn from your sin and put your trust and hope in him. That's the most important thing you can consider and think about tonight. Let's now look at our second point. How we should approach judging. In the last part of James chapter 4, verse 12, James is telling believers not to judge one another, and more specifically, not to judge their neighbors. James is continuing with the point of jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts, which eventually may lead to wrongful judgment of others. The pride in us makes us think that we have the right to judge someone by our standards. Our sinful nature in us wants to put ourselves on God's throne to judge others. James's concern here is a similar concern that Paul had when he wrote to the Roman Christians where they, where they were judging one another due to ritual laws found in Romans 14. Let's look at it from another angle. Look at the words of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5, that, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What Jesus is saying here, basically, is the first, get our lives in order before we worry about someone else. We can't go to someone to address the speck in their eye if we show up with the plank in our own eye. But also, I want to mention something briefly of what judging others does not mean. There is a danger to where Jesus' words in Matthew 7 are sometimes misinterpreted and or misunderstood. Where one will say, it's unbiblical for me to do that. I can't confront someone with their sin. Well, the reader may not get the Matthew 7.15 where Jesus talks about being aware of the false prophets, or reading further down into chapter 18 of Matthew, where Jesus lays out the Christian protocol for properly confronting another brother in sin in a loving way. But James's concern here is the slanderous judgment of others. The Pharisees are probably the best examples of wrongful, slanderous judgment. Jesus points this out in Matthew 23. The Pharisees essentially added on man-made rules and expected people to follow them. And when people did not follow these man-made rules, the Pharisees would judge the people by their standards. Their focus was on the outward appearance of others, and they believed they had the right to judge others. Consider Luke chapter 7, verse 36, where we see a woman who was a sinner anoint Jesus' feet. But how did Simon the Pharisee respond? He responded with wrong Superficial judgment on the woman, based on her appearance or reputation, it could not see that she was a forgiven sinner. That's the thing with the Pharisees. They were always concerned about others following the law. They would point out, people's, point out things in people's lives that they would not approve of on the surface and then make sweeping judgments. That is exactly what Jesus warned about in Matthew 7. The Pharisees could see a small speck in someone else's eye but they failed to see the plank in their own eye. 
And the thing is, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we are not a whole lot different than the Pharisees. Some of us may not struggle with superficial judgment, but could struggle with self-righteous judgment. We see in Luke 18, where the Pharisee and tax collector went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee was very confident in his own righteousness compared to the tax collector, which made him proud. But the tax collector was humble and acknowledged himself as a sinner in need of God's mercy. How often do we say to ourselves, man, I'm so glad I'm not like so-and-so, or I'm so glad I do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, unlike others. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that the greatest commandment in the law was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind. The second was to love our neighbor as yourself. And who is our neighbor? Well, Jesus goes into that story in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Our neighbor is simply anyone we come in contact with. We should not be sizing up our neighbors and judging them based on their appearance or what they have to offer us. It really circles back to what I mentioned in the beginning. The core issue here is our hearts. The unhelpful words that come out of our mouths, our actions, our evil thoughts, our wrongful judgments of others are a direct result of the wickedness going on in our hearts. We see the heart issue with our first parents, Adam and Eve. They attempted to dethrone God as the lawgiver and judge. God told Adam that he could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The lawgiver here gave the law instead of Adam obeying God. He felt he could undermine the lawgiver and put himself on God's throne due to the deceitfulness going on in his heart that led him astray. How often do we ourselves attempt to consciously or unconsciously undermine God's authority? As we conclude, I want us to reflect for a moment before we take communion. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight to examine ourselves before we participate in the Lord's Supper. I want us to consider any relationships we may have in this local church or anywhere else that have been clouded by selfish, unbiblical judgment of one another. Are we acting like the Pharisees did and making broad judgments on each other? Or through humility, are we acknowledging the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as our lawgiver and Savior and not attempting to put ourselves on his throne, to execute judgment on one another. Friends, there is forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Turn from your sin and put your hope and trust in Christ, who is our lawgiver and our righteous judge. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are humbled by this passage from your word. We know that we are all guilty of wrongfully judging our neighbors. Purify our hearts, we pray, and change us from the inside. We praise you that you are a righteous lawgiver and judge who is able to save us from our sins for those who would repent and believe. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Friends, brothers and sisters, you'll you'll notice you'll notice during Chris's sermon and in God's word.